He's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. Good afternoon. Stacy Washington here, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, my goodness. Jam-packed program. We're going to get into what uh, comprises the fabric of American life. You might be wondering, what comprises the fabric of American life? Okay, let's face it. You're not wondering that. You're living life as an American. You don't need someone to tell you what the fabric of American life is comprised of. But guess what? Chuck Schumer has something to tell you. And then we are also going to be having a wonderful time with another brilliant host on radio, just like a a rocket ship taking off, rising star in uh, Christian radio and conservative media, Abraham Hamilton III. He's an attorney. He's a pastor. He's a radio host at American Family Radio. And I'm proud to call him a a friend and colleague here. He's going to be with us. And we're going to talk just a host of issues with him on the program today, which I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to him. Um, He's busy. So it's not like I can just book him whenever I'd like. So to have his time today is really, really a privilege. So we're going to be speaking with him right now. I want to get to... Uh, Chucky Schumer. So find us at AFR.net and also StacyOnTheRight.com and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. We would love to have you subscribe and keep up with our updates. And I I just want to point out, I'm not opposed to Facebook. I'm on Facebook. But one of the ways you can support websites of organizations that you care for is to go to your search bar and type in AFR.net or, uh, you know, AFA.net urbanfamilytalk.com, stacyontheright.com. Just type those in, go directly to the website. Uh, That referral traffic from Facebook is wonderful, but we can't always rely on Facebook to refer traffic and to give those hits to the websites that are doing the work. So remember to to type those into the search bar. That's what we hope for when uh, we share those websites and those addresses here on the show. So right now, let's listen to Chuck Schumer praising abortion as the fabric of American life. Well, I think what it is, is people, we've had Roe for so long, and it's been so much the part and fabric of American life, that people think, well, no matter who's on the court, it'll pretty much stay where it is. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, As you know, Trump chose his 25, uh, the list, he chose from a list of 25 culled by two groups. One, the Heritage Foundation, whose goal in life has been to shrink government, particularly in health care. So that's going to have real effect on health care rights to people and health care. Right, which uh, is an important issue for Democrats. And the other is by the Federalist Society and Leonard Leo, the head of the Federalist Society and a very effective man, um, unfortunately, in my view. But uh, his goal in life is to repeal Roe v. Wade. And we are making that message. I think, frankly, the senators realize that better than the public at this point. That's interesting. Um, but I think we have to keep we have to keep making that message, uh, doing that message over and over and over again. And we have to keep doing what we can do over and over and over again. This is an all-out war. Uh, and so when you hear Chuck Schumer say that abortion has become so much the fabric of American life, your heart should be pierced. We sh- you, you should feel the sense of urgency. He feels a sense of urgency to protect and maintain the right to, uh, to basically separate life off from babies, unborn children. 
treated as either it's convenience and it's, and you know, Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be pregnant and that is a baby and that is a life that I'm going to celebrate. And so, you know, don't ask me what it is. I'm carrying a baby and, and, and it's a baby and, and I'm happy about it. And I'm, I'm, you know, or it's, that's just a clump of cells. It's inconvenient for me right now. It doesn't fit in with my life plan. So rather than not getting pregnant, I choose to have an abortion. And we have that happening 958,000 times a year. Now, a, a very small percentage is unfortunately due to rape, incest, uh, sometimes abortions, very, very small percentage, but definitely it happens. The life and health of the mother is an issue, but the majority of those are abortions of convenience, at least 95% of them. We're talking about you know, 958,000, that's three times plus the population of the city of St. Louis and uh, any host of other metropolitan areas. So you have to wonder why... Why would Chuck Schumer call abortion a part of the fabric of American life? Because his priority is maintaining that death mill. As Christians, we have a problem. And yeah, it's Chuck Schumer and his rabid support of abortion. It's the taxpayers funding of abortion, but it's also our support of abortion. Abortion happens to Christian women, women who sit in the pew every Sunday. It happens to people uh, you know, that, that people make that choice of almost every walk of life, every ethnic background, every socioeconomic level, people choose to make that, that horrible decision. And there's a lot more to it than, well, I just had an abortion and, and you know, I'm moving on. Planned Parenthood wants you to think that it's just a clump of cells and there's no real ramification, but the incidences of depression and other types of uh, negative indicators like, uh, you know, drug abuse and self-harm, suicide, mental illness that arise after abortion point to a much deeper issue. The knowledge that a woman has that she's destroyed a life. And so we're not talking about the enslavement of women. We're not going about, you know, not talking about punishing women. We're talking about acknowledging that the little person that's growing inside is a person too. And I don't, I don't buy the whole NPR Marist poll, which, you, as we all know, you can ask questions in a specific way to get a poll result that you desire. I don't, I don't buy it that there's a strong consensus in support of Roe v. Wade. And even the interviewer admitted right before the, right before we picked up the audio, she admitted, well, you know, Americans want to see abortion after three months restricted, you know. Uh, And and so when we talk about this, I like to go to the scripture because as Christians, if, if Christians opposed abortion, we wouldn't have Roe v. Wade. The Democrats have huge numbers of, of their constituency who attend church. Liberals go to church too. And if all of us agreed that, you know, we're not supposed to crush, dismember, and destroy unborn babies, lives that are sacred to God, we wouldn't have Roe v. Wade. So here are just the supporting facts that should convict us all. If we we support abortion or if we refuse to oppose it, we should be convicted. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? 
will he not repay man according to his work? The he in that, that Proverbs 24, 11 through 12 is God. You can't say, I didn't know that abortion was wrong because the Bible says here, you're going to perceive that in your heart. You know whether it's right or wrong. God is the creator. He created the heavens and the earth. All things were made through him. And without him, there was not anything made that was made. Anything you see, he is the creator. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So is it a clump of cells or is it a baby? Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Isaiah 49, 1 through 5. No, one and five. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. So a God who forms you together in your mother's womb, but who knew you before the formation of this earth, who numbers the hairs on your head, who numbers your tears. He says he holds them in the palm of his hand. That same God is not going to say, well, up until the moment you're actually out of the birth canal, you're just a clump of cells. Any of us as Christians who buy into that can't claim to know the word of God. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you, I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. That's Psalm 22, nine through 10. So there is absolutely support for the value of human life. The value of each person. God didn't accidentally, none, none of the people that are formed are accidents. God doesn't make mistakes. So if we look at the fruit of the womb as a reward and know that these babies are innocent, they're, they're forming in their mother's womb. Deuteronomy twenty-seven twenty-five says, cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood and all the people shall say, Amen. So you, you can't be held unaccountable, which is why the taxpayer funding of abortion is so important, because it's not good enough for people who believe in abortion and believe in infanticide to kill the babies with their dollars to, to raise the money on their own. They have to have the taxpayers doing it because it lends validity to the killing and it takes away some of their own uh, you know, culpability because we all are forced to participate. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste and run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. God set each and every one of us apart before we were born. He has called us to him by his grace. And so when we are looking at this issue, we don't have any excuse as Christians for supporting abortion. And, and it's difficult because what happens is obviously people on the left, they just simply know they're better than people on the right. 
when it comes to all issues. They're not racist. They care about the poor. They want health care for all because they want everyone to have everything good. They want a universal income. They, they don't want any struggle. No, it's just a utopia that they're looking for, knowing good and well, if they're Christians, that the only quote unquote utopia is heaven and you don't get there here. No, there's not heaven on earth, like the little pop song says. In order for us to really honor God's word and to be obedient to him, we have to understand and accept all of the Bible, not just the parts that we like. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. It doesn't say you are that temple once you emerge from your mother's womb. It doesn't say after you're no longer a clump of cells, you are that temple. The disciples asked Jesus about this. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is in Matthew 18, verses 1 and 2. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And in verse 10, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. The Bible also says, touch not my anointed. And we as Christians have to be the ones leading the fight on this. I believe that we have, you know, the, the best opportunity now with technology being what it is that you can have these 3D ultrasounds that show you that it's not a clump of cells, that very early on, the person is a person. And even when that person doesn't have the full appearance of being a person, if we know it's going to be a person shortly, and we know that science is true, once something's growing, it's, a, it's alive, there really is no argument for this. There's no support for this. So it starts with us. We cannot just be privately pro-life, but publicly in favor of the euphemism of choice, which is infanticide, abortion. We have to be strong and courageous and walk out what God has for us, which is life, life more abundantly. And that's for everyone, regardless of their location. All right. That's this segment of the show. When we get back, we're going to have Abraham Hamilton III, host of the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And more Stacy on the right. Keep it here. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com. 
HolyLand.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. When I was a new Christian, there was an older couple in our church who worked with the young people, and they modeled what it meant to be real prayer warriors. Whenever you got into their car for a ride home or to go anywhere, they always prayed for God's protection. Their example rubbed off on me. To this very day, before a trip that Karen and I take, I often say, let's bow and ask God to grant us safety as we travel together. In Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23, Ezra is leading a group of people back to Jerusalem where they've rebuilt a temple. Listen to these words as he underscores their need to cry out to God. Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, The hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. Here Ezra says, I want to prove God. I want to trust God to care for us, to watch over us. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we are limited, that we need him. And prayer is a declaration of who we trust and depend on. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. God is capable and will care for us. He not only wants to take care of us, he wants to declare his awesome power to us and to those around us. You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, and heard on the weekly program, Living a Legacy. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It is my pleasure to be with you again with someone fantastic. So, you know, one of my favorite things to do is interview wonderful people. And I'm really blessed that I get to speak to our next guest. It's Abraham Hamilton III. He's American Family Association's public policy analyst. He holds a Juris Doctorate degree from Loyola University in New Orleans. And he's also like the best bestest, bestest in the world at making you laugh at all of the horrible things that are going on in our country. He's, he's got a sense of humor that my kids are even into it. That's, that's how good it is. Cause my kids are, they're tough. They, they, they only like the best. And we all laugh when we listen to his show and we're kind of tootling around in our minivan all over St. Louis trying to get stuff done. We turn on the Hamilton corner and we get our daily dose of common sense, biblical ethics, and, the Smackdowns. The Smackdowns are always awesome. Hey, uh, I want to welcome you to the program again. Thank you so much for coming on today, Abe. Thank you, Stacey. I'm glad to be with you and I'm glad to provide you and, and, and the crew some uh, comedic relief. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'll say, is that story true? I'm like, yeah, it's true. My son is the one who always he does all of his news in the morning. So he's the one sometimes he'll catch me up. Have you heard about such and such? I'm like, no, let me catch up. So he'll say, oh, it's true. I saw that on so-and-so. So, you know, they're, they're pretty sharp, but they enjoy it. I enjoy what you bring on the program every day. And it's, it's important for us to have people who can speak the truth, but also make us laugh because otherwise it's kind of dreary. And that's not the life that God has for us here. We're, we're, we're supposed to be happy warriors battling forward, knowing the end. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The scripture tells us 
that laughter does good like medicine, you know. So you don't want to be uh, just a, a, a crud stick in the mud. You have to laugh <laughs> from time to time. So I, I try to mix that in sometimes. I, I'm glad that you do. So let's let's talk about first off, I want to get our business aspect out of the way, which is the Value Voters Summit. So a little birdie told me you were speaking there and that there's also important info that needs to be shared. So hit us. What, what's <laughs> going on? <laughs> well, a little birdie did uh, tell you that's right. I uh, I did a keynote address at the Values Voters Summit in 2016, and I will be doing uh, a session this year uh, talking about uh, political engagement, whether, whether or not the political engagement of Christians is the product of uh, mere political philosophy, or is it something more? Of course, uh, you kind of have an idea where I stand on that uh, and, and that it is something more. But I will be speaking there this year, and it's September 21st through the 23rd in Washington, D.C. at the Omni Shoreham Hotel. So I'd invite all of your listeners who want to come and participate. It actually is a wonderful event. It's probably the f- foremost uh, event for uh, biblically-minded conservative people who are engaged politically. It, it's a phenomenal event. I've never seen any event like it in the country, and it, it, it's a great time. It's a great time. And you can go to valuevotersummit.org for more information. So what I had to say about Value Voters is the reason I know it's awesome is because whenever it's like maybe three weeks before, possibly a month out, Everybody on the left kind of wakes up and they have their values voter summit alarm set and it goes Uh off and they start foaming (laughs) at the mouth and they start like picking through who's speaking and they start saying this person's a rabid evangelical. They say evangelical the way we say sewage and things like that. Evangelical (laughs) Christians, they're fundamentalists, they're believers, they're practicing Christians. And I think to myself, Oh, I would that we were all practicing evangelical, you know, fundamentalist Christians. I wish more of us would be that because we'd be very, very impactful. And so it's kind of the tip of the spear for activity on the political side, would you say? I'd agree with that 100 percent. I mean, uh, President Trump spoke there two years in a row. He spoke there in 2016, uh, the year I spoke, and he spoke there in 2017. uh, And he has been invited this year as well. Um, You have a whole host of people, phenomenal speakers, and, and it's rapid fire. It's one after another, one after another. Uh, George Barner is there, who's one of my favorite people uh, as a researcher who, who digs in the trenches and, and gives us information that sometimes, I know for, for me, I wasn't aware of. When in 2016, I learned that only 4%, and this is, goes to your point, only 4% of Christians actually had a biblical worldview. I mean, wow. I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. And and so when we when we see that and, and you made the distinction between uh, those who would proclaim the title or a description of being an evangelical Christian and those who would engage as a lifestyle, live the life of a Christian, there's a, gr- a great chasm between those two. And getting information like that has been uh, critical for me in, in my personal life, in my ministry, as well as what I do on the radio. And we get to see a lot of the information just using him. The statistics he shared, it, it's absolutely accurate. And so I, you, you, you encapsulated that so well, Abe, but I think we, we got to unpack it just a little further because sometimes I think what people hear is, oh, well, if I don't have a biblical worldview and they're not even sure what that is, yeah. they're, well, then I must not be, you know, I, I'm, I'm tired of people castigating me about being a bad Christian when on the real, reality side of their life, they have people in their lives at work or, or maybe their neighbors who think they're crazy Christians. And they're like, well, how, how much more Christian do I need to be? Mm-hmm. It's not about being crazy. It's not about sticking out like a sore thumb or making Christianity look weird 
or representing it in a way that is so radical that other people can't identify with it. It's really about how we live. Like we're in the pew, we're nodding our head, we're singing, we're raising our hands during praise and worship. Then when we leave, what happens? And that's the question for so many Christians. And when you talk about the Barna Group and the work that they do, I, one of my bucket list items is to meet that man because I've read the studies that they do. I've talked about the surveys that they do so often. And what I most often get in response to that, well, that can't be right. You know, 4%, <laughs> that can't be right. Or the only only 12% of Christians or something like that, you know, have ever witnessed to someone that can't be right. Or the tiny numbers of Christians who actually tithe on a regular basis as a choice, a decision of what they do first, as opposed to, I have this much money left over. And so I'm going to give some of that to the church. I mean, on almost every metric, when you look at the studies that the Barna Group does, it's an eye opener and it's a clarion call to us that, you know, we, it's one thing to memorize scripture. It's another thing to live by it and to really, really walk it out. It's hard. Being obedient is really hard. So when you talk about the Value Voters Summit, what are some of the things that if, if people are listening and they're thinking, wow, I, I, I might need to go to this, what will they get? I know your, 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 your panel is going to be amazing, um, but who else is going to be there that you know of and, and what else can they expect? Yeah. And so I have a list in this, you know, com- Technology is kind of slow. Right at the top of the list, George Barna. <laughs> He's going to yes. be there. Uh, the Benham brothers, David and Jason Benham. I don't know how many people are familiar with him, uh, with those guys, but they mm-hmm. are uh, the, the the twins from North Carolina who are just warriors uh, on the political front as well as standing for, for biblical values, which is an interesting side note. Uh, I'll just tell this story. You probably already know this story. Uh, but, you know, the the Norma McCorvey, the, the Roe in Ro, the Roe versus Wade case. Uh, well, she actually never even got was going for an abortion, but she became a Christian. And you want to know the person who who shared the gospel with her? Flip Benham, the dad what? of the Benham brothers. Yeah. The Benham brothers father are the ones who introduced Norma McCorvey, the row from Roe v. Wade to Christianity. And she has become had, she became a pro-life warrior following her being used for that. Uh, but so they're going to be there. Governor Matt Bevin. From Kentucky is going to be there. Uh, Shannon Bream and Tucker Carlson from Fox News are going to be there. Yeah, Yeah. they're going to be there. (laughs) Dr. Ben Carson, Secretary of of Housing and Urban Development, is going to be there. Uh, Sarah Carter, uh, an investigative journalist, one of the ones who's been a critical contributor. From Circa.com. Now she's with Fox News. That's exactly right. Sarah Carter. She is going to be there. Kellyanne Conway is going to be there speaking. Uh, Roma Downey and Mark Brunette, the filmmakers, the ones. Wow. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be there. Brigitte Gabrielle, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. I mean, yes. the list goes on and on and on and on. I could I could keep going on. If you want me to, I can. No, no. I think that's a great <laughs> taste. So so it, listeners, this is this is the good stuff. When you hear that there's going to be like someone awesome like Abe that's going to be there. That's that's enough for you. But if you hear all these other names, that's like that's basically saying what are you waiting for? You should go to valuevoters.org and register and you should be there too. And so what you've been before a few times, what is the attendance like? Is it like a CPAC or is it a little smaller? What's it, what's it like? Yeah, it's, it's uh, relatable uh, to a CPAC. It, okay. it, it's similar to that. The, the, hu- the main plenary sessions are in the hu- huge ballroom at the Omni Shoreroom. And one name I have to say, because I personally am a fan, uh, Nikki Haley, the ambassador, to the United Nations is going to be at Values Voters this year. Uh, but yeah, so you you can come. And the beautiful thing is that a lot of the speakers, you could just be in the hallway and end up interacting with the people who just spoke on the stage. 
So it, it it's not uh, a, a huge hands-off, stuffy type of an event. All of the people who are there, the overwhelming majority of them, except for probably members of the media, are, are like-minded and they are interested in one thing, infusing their political engagement with the truth of God's word and using that to govern their political engagement. And so let's let's. We'll we'll finish out on this subject Uh, and you know where I'm going with it because you're kind of chuckling a little bit. And this is a toughie because most people that I encounter, especially if they if they're kind of aware that, I, you know, oh, she does talk radio and she's on the right. Well, what they want to talk about is politics. But I've been brought along. You know, it wasn't my original kernel of how I operated because I've come from uh, just regular commercial radio, talk Mm -hmm. radio. Now I'm on Christian radio and I see, uh, looking back, it's easy to see a path that God set me on where he let me get my radio chops out there to kind of show me, look, this, this is, this is politics. This is a tool, but how do you infuse a tool with the ability to do the maximum amount that it can do? Well, you have to have the, the person who's operating it really understand the owner's manual on that tool. And then they have to be an expert at using it. And usually that expertise involves using other tools as well. As Christians, we're not meant to be solely political animals. Politics is a tool that we can use to make changes in our world here in America because we have, you know, we're, we're, we're citizens and as citizens, we're the highest form of individual in our country. We actually allow our representatives to operate on our behalf through representative government, the consent of the governed. When we understand that, then we go back to what the founders talked about individually and corporately, which was a religious Christian populace that could actually maintain a government like that. And so we, it takes us back to the core to God. What, so to be the proper owner and operator of a political tool, we got to be good, upstanding, upright Christians who are dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge of Jesus Christ and being operational Christians, not just, you know, Sinos Christians in name only talk about that a bit. Yeah, sure. So, um, It's my contention that the Lord's hand was sovereignly involved in the formation of this wonderful nation called the United States of America. It was a perfect God using imperfect people to create the greatest experiment in the history of the world in terms of self-governance. And so it's because of that you have people like, for example, George Washington, first president of the United States under the Constitution, who wrote in his farewell address that religion and morality are indispensable supports to this constitutional republic. Then he goes so far as to say, in vain would a person claim the virtue of patriotism who would work to undermine religion and morality. So understanding that John Adams, second president of the United States, said that the constitutional republic that we enjoy is only and only functional when you have a moral people. It is completely inadequate for the governance of any other sort of people. So in order to maintain a societal order where self-governance is the is the the means by which we have this uh, the liberties that we enjoy. We have to have a moral people, and I, and I think that what we're seeing the the unraveling of that morality, as John Adams re- referred to, or and that commitment to religion, and he clearly meant Christianity. George Washington did mm-hmm. in his farewell address. The unraveling of that ethos that's a part of the fabric of our society is contributing to the problems that we have now. Take for example the issue of public uh, uh, shootings, mass shootings specifically school shootings. We've had guns in schools for hundreds of years in America. Mm -hmm. I mean, students used to bring their rifles to school to have target practice at school. 
in the in, in America's past, but you didn't have the mass shootings that we see now. What's happened? The moral ethos, the core of the, the, the American populace has changed. It's not the instrumentalities. Hundreds of millions of guns in the country in times past, hundreds of millions of guns now. The difference is the core of our the core of our country. And just what you what you said is absolutely right. The objective, my engagement in politics is for one person, one person, one, one reason, one reason only. As a committed Christian, I am committed to executing the Great Commission. As a result of that commitment, I am aware that there is one huge threat that could thwart and hinder my ability to do that. It's called government. So I engage civically and politically to keep the door open for the execution of the Great Commission. Because if we back away, hello, 2016, there was one person running for candidate, running for president. She is the candidate that shall remain nameless as far as I'm talking, (laughs) uh, who said you could have a belief system. But if that belief system doesn't comport with public policy, you have to change your beliefs. Oh, and so I hear this a lot, Abe. Mm-hmm. I, I heard this yesterday and today, which tells me I'm getting I'm I'm getting close to being over the target because it depends on who's hitting you mm-hmm. when you know. Okay, I'm 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 right where I'm supposed to be. I've been told twice in the last 24 hours that I should tone it down, <laughs> back off a little bit, stop posting so often, maybe tone down my beliefs, and then maybe you know maybe people won't hate me so much. Maybe I'll have more liberal friends. Maybe people in the black community would accept me more. And I was told by the opposite ends of the spectrum. One person who I love and respect said this to me mm-hmm. and another person who's a white, an admitted white nationalist <laughs> said this to me and gave me a Bible verse <laughs> as a quote in the email. So I'm, I'm with you when, when you talk about, and I don't want to offend. So the person you refer to that shall not be named and even her <laughs> daughter who recently this week, only this week is out being offensive saying oh, yeah. that the reason we have economic, uh, you know, increase because of abortion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We just kill the babies and that's what, how we make money around here. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And I hope it, you know, if you're listening, this is not condemnation. This is, as I just said for myself, a journey that I traveled on where I never imagined myself in Christian radio. I always said on the radio, I'm a Christian. But now that I'm here, we're we're in this place where the two intersect. Clearly, one is the overarching umbrella and the other is underneath the political aspect, the tool. It's underneath. That's something we can use. But it's going out and getting people to understand how they can know Christ and live that Christian life for the betterment of eternity. It's because that that's the big deal. This is just a little audition time. We, we just a short period that we get to be here. That's really the, the most important part of it. So we have Abe for one more segment. And when we get back, we're going to be talking politics, 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 because no one can break it down like Abraham Hamilton, the third. I'm in the lucky seat today. Stacy on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk with Abraham Hamilton III of the Hamilton Corner. We'll be right back in just a minute. Out of all the people in the world, we've all done or will do the following. Be birthed into this earth, grow, go to school, maybe go to college, get married, have kids, grow old, and die. Doesn't sound too eventful when put in that perspective. For many, the thought of discipling someone is foreign from the mind and not even on the to-do list. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus tells us to go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is more than a a student.
confident he or she is a follower of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things in this world, but there's nothing like being a Christian. It's a life filled with adventures. Receiving an education, vacationing, marriage, having kids are good, but there's nothing like taking the time to nourish someone in God's word so that they can be a force to be reckoned with. That is priceless. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Democratic socialists have a dream, an America where no one has to work, everyone is guaranteed an income, free housing, and a free university education. The only thing they aren't promising is that everyone will be thin. Maybe that's next. Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are the darlings of the moment. But can their ideas work? According to leftwingvox.com, absolutely not. Brian Riddle of the Manhattan Institute points out that the first 10 years of implementation of the democratic socialist fantasy would cost $42.5 trillion in hard American cash. This outlay would require the federal government to confiscate all corporate and personal profits over $90,000 per year, implement a value-added tax of 87%, and that would only be the beginning. There's a reason that Venezuela is on fire. Citizens are eating their pets and zoo animals for food, and water is scarce. Socialism. Entertaining these ideas is folly. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is Fox on Justice. When an elected official is believed to have committed improper acts, the constitutional course of action is to impeach that official. That's playing out right now in West Virginia, where all four sitting state Supreme Court justices have been impeached by the State House of Delegates. They're accused of using state money for office furnishings and renovations, things like a $32,000 couch. Legislators took their role seriously. It is certainly historical what's happened here. A loss of integrity, a loss of trust from the public. They haven't violated the law, but they violated the taxpayer. And that's just as bad. Something could have been done about this a long time ago. It will now be up to the West Virginia State Senate to put the justices on trial on these impeachment charges, those who don't resign or retire first. If convicted, the justices would be removed from office, and the governor would get to name new justices. The governor's name, by the way, is Jim Justice. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. In Rising Hill, we have individual restrooms for our students. Students can come into the restroom, use the individual restroom, lock the doors when they're using the restroom, and then when they're done, come out to our common hand washing area, can wash their hands, and then teachers and other staff can be able to supervise in this open space. It increases supervision for students and increases safety and privacy. It's just so great. All the children will be together and the teachers will be inside and they can help the children and tell them to wash their hands. And just like every other democratic utopia, I'm here to tell you that's not how it's going to be. Teachers are going to be out in the hallway talking to each other about how tough their day is and the kids will be inside and all kinds of mayhem will be going on. But you know, Utopia. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And my guest this segment, second segment in a row, is the public policy analyst for American Family Association, Abraham Hamilton III. He's also the host of the Hamilton Corner and so many other hats that he wears. He's, he's an amazing preacher teacher. Um, and if you don't listen to his show, it's 5 p.m. Central on AFA, on AFR. And what we love to do, my family, we just click it on. 
and then we go do our stuff in that 5 p.m. hour or we play it as we're moving about the house. And it's really good stuff. Not, and when I say good stuff, that sounds a little nebulous. Let me be more specific. It is the word broken down for you. And then all of the political issues of the day and all from expert analytical mind of Abraham Hamilton III. Abe, thanks for being with us. Oh, it is my pleasure, Stacy. So you heard the clip. The teacher said that the te- the kids now, now for the listeners, if you have not seen this video in the news, um, what they showed in the video is these beautiful. I mean, we're talking about some 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 cute designer with super cute shoes and clothes designed a super cute bathroom. <laughs> it is super cute. And I'm saying that as someone who re- we have a bathroom torn up right here right now that we're remodeling. So I'm into that stuff. Beautiful white tile, lovely doors, door jams, locking doors that say lock and unlock with red for locked on the, you know, so you switch the handle. They lock from the inside. It's a little cubicle type of a bathroom. It's completely tiled on the inside. And the doors are right next to each other. It's like four stalls. And speaking for as a woman, I have always hated public restroom stalls that have the cubicles with all the gaps because... All I have to do is stand there while you're waiting and you can see everything that the person is doing. So you have to uncomfortably look at the ceiling while you wait your turn to go to the restroom. And the person inside is so embarrassed. They're just trying to go as fast as they can. So I love the closed door concept. But why would an elementary school feel the need to do a remodel of this type, which I guarantee you the taxpayers in that district paid a few million dollars for that upgrade with and you get less bathrooms out of it. You get less bathrooms out of the deal when you centralize them into one the way they've done. But why would a district feel like they needed to do that, Abraham Hamilton III? <laughs> well, it, it, it is following suit with the uh, modern penchant to redefine federal law. Now, what am I talking about? Well, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that includes in it the protected classes of individuals in the country, uh, which, by the way, were determined based on immediately discernible characteristics that are readily discernible on its face and that were immutable characteristics that represented a a people group or a category of persons who have been historically disenfranchised economically and politically. Hmm. Well, in that that group Hmm. (laughs) prohibited discrimination on the basis of race and sex listed among those uh, protected classes. Well, what's happening is that following the guidance ordered by the Obama administration, former President Obama's administration, to reinterpret the word sex to include the concept of gender identity. So these schools are saying they are attempting to qualify with the requirements of Title VII under the Civil Rights Act uh, to uh, include, or should I say, to preclude discrimination against persons based on sex when they really are saying really gender identity as a result open up the bathroom so that there can be no distinction between males and females, uh, even though the law does not require that. And just to completely wrap that up, because you, you, you're you you're just banging on all cylinders there because you went straight to the law. Why is this even a thing? But there's one more aspect to it, and that is if the kids can go to the bathroom together and share the bathrooms willy nilly and there are no differences between men and women or Mm -hmm. girls and boys, then dot, 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 what's our next logical step? That's right. The next (laughs) the next logical step is is that uh, this I refer to it as a sexual deviancy agenda continues to march on Mm -hmm. unabated. Now, does anybody else find it absolutely peculiar? Because normally conservatives are decried as being the anti-science crowd, does anybody else other than myself find it to be a bit peculiar in a place where you're supposed to be learning Mm -hmm. (laughs) that this is the very institution that will now seek to confuse these young minds 
well, there, while there is clearly no scientific or biological support for this concept we refer to as gender ideation or gender identity theory, there's no scientific support for it, but we're going to still, we're going to erect bathrooms, which is literally teaching a lesson, mm-hmm. not necessarily at a lectern in the classroom, but teaching a lesson that probably will be retained more in some cases than what's being conveyed in the classroom. Uh, probably is being very kind yes. and my little fingers <laughs> up in the air over here. Cause I'm with you that this is definitely not scientific. And, and just like liberals are totally off when they say it's just a lump of cells, go ahead and flush it out. You know, abortion doesn't kill a life, but they admit that later there's a baby, but in the beginning, it's just a clump of nebulous cells. It's growing, but it's not alive. It's not a person. It's just something you can get rid of the same way. They're non-scientific about that. They're non-scientific about this because there are very different parts of being a man and a woman or a girl and a boy. And it's at the genetic level. And we're talking about accommodating mental illness, gender dysphoria, which is a mental illness. And the idea that we need to kowtow to less than one percent of the American population who are mentally ill and need counseling is utterly ridiculous. But you mentioned this march um, of of, you know, the, the deviancy and how it just first, first it was, we just want to love who we want to love. Then it was, we want to love who we want to love in public. Well, Mm -hmm. we're not good. It's not good enough for us to love each other. We want to be married too. We want to adopt kids too. Now they can marry and adopt kids. And now they're happy and they're off in their corner. And the next group of people who need accommodation have queued up and they're like, well, we, we want to be able to dress like the opposite sex. And we don't want you to say anything about it. We want to create a whole bunch of new genders and uh, pronouns and you can't say anything about it. And also, We don't want your kids using individual bathrooms because that's offensive to us. And that just points out how mentally ill we are. So you got to stop doing that, too. And my question is, when do parents rise up and say, "Okay, my tax dollars are paying for this? No, mm -mm, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Yeah. And that's what has to happen. Not too long ago, there was a group of parents in North Carolina where there was a proposed sex ed curriculum that was literally doing exactly what you laid out, the the advancement of the sexual deviancy agenda moving from uh, homosexuality to transgender identity and moving on down the field, so to speak. And parents stood up and rejected that proposed curriculum. And, and I would encourage the parents in Kansas City to do the same thing, because just as you're, you're saying this, it seems like it was at breakneck pace. We went from the Obergefell decision in 2015 uh-huh. concerning same sex marriage to where the conversation turned on. The, the, this transgender moment that is happening and just on the heels of that. And I, and this is not in an effort to be alarmist or to to uh, be hyperbolic in my conversation here. But there is a movement afoot right now uh, by people who previously were described as pedophiles mm-hmm. to re-describe themselves as minor attracted persons who argue uh, the homosexual community had their day and achieved rights, and the transgender uh, community is having, uh, and I think that's a misnomer, homosexual community, transgender community, but I'm saying it for the sake of conversation. Yeah, yeah. The transgender yeah. community is having their moment right now, and we too want our moment, our affinity for children, whether they be prepubescent or postpubescent or teenagers. Our affinity for those children are are just as ingrained in our sexual orientation as homosexuality. So if uh-huh. you open the door to same-sex marriage, how can you deny us rights? I played some audio on my program from a university professor at the University of Würzburg in Germany making the argument that pedophilia is another orientation, just like heterosexuality. That argument has also been made in mainstream le- leftist uh, online magazines and papers mm-hmm. for, years. for years. I called it out years ago, yes. five, six, seven years ago. I said, 
open the door. To, I, I, I was speaking to my Catholic friends on mm-hmm. Facebook. I said, you are good, kind-hearted people that I love, but many of you are saying you're Republicans, but you're also in favor of homosexual rights and gay marriage. And what I'm telling you is, Everyone has to have their turn. If you give one form of mental illness a turn and say, well, that's legitimate, then everybody else is going to step up. And believe me, the polygamists are actually fighting the the pedophiles for their turn because the the polygamists believe they should be next. And the pedophiles are like, nah, you know, North American Man Boy Love Association. They have great legal representation, which is absolutely like I I can't even believe I just said that, but it's the truth. They're actually queuing up and and vying for who's going to take the next spot. Meanwhile, I see mainline homosexual activists have now settled back in and they've taken off their Antifa jackets and they're now wearing three-piece suits, you know, the men and the women. And they're all saying things like, well, I just can't get behind the, you know, normalization of pedophilia because that has nothing to do with homosexuality. Meanwhile, you've got this scandal roiling the Catholic Church with 300 priests now. Now that now everything is the, the masks are getting ripped off and the lids are getting ripped off and we get to see all the rotting, stinking, disgusting behavior that's been going on and getting covered up for all these decades. And no one wants to draw a link between pedophilia and homosexual attraction and all of the other things that we're seeing that are manifesting, it's not, it's, these are these don't come out at the same time accidentally. So when you talk, and, and I, I was told the same thing. Wow, I thought you were a more mainstream conservative. You sound like <laughs> an alarmist. Wow, Stacey, you sound like someone who, you're, you're like almost a conspiracy theorist. My gay friends are not in favor of pedophilia. And I said, it's, it's not about what they're in favor of. It's that you're saying my gay friends, like that's normal. Soon as that's normal, as soon as it's law, others will want their unnormal behavior, their amoral behavior, their illegal behavior legalized. And now we're seeing it. And I, I don't see anybody coming at me now. Nobody's well, you're radical. Now they're just like, well, I wonder what we're going to do about this. Well, nothing. You started it. Now it's just going to keep on rolling. Yeah. And and what your the distinction you just shared uh, with with some friends who say I'm conservative, but I I support uh, same sex marriage rights and things of that nature. That is a perfect example of a person who, in some instances, may lean conservatively on some issues, but they abandon the orthodoxy of Scripture to take other positions politically. And so that is evidence of a deviation from a biblical worldview. It's very simple. How do you view the world? What lenses do you see the world through? And unfortunately, the reality is that many of us pick and choose where we want Scripture to apply when we want to. And so the question has to be, is that something we have uh, well, of course, we have the freedom to do so, but is mm-hmm. that something that is conducive to our commitment to obey the authority of Scripture? And so I want to connect what you just said to something that I, I read recently by a, a really just there's so we have so many brilliant people on the right. You can't read all of them and keep up with everything. But I just stumbled upon a, a bit of of knowledge that was being shared about this idea that So we've heard on CNN that uh, one of their hosts, Chris Cuomo, was defending Antifa because Antifa was actually attacking journalists and the police physically at a a rally recently. And he was saying, well, they're doing so because they feel like the journalists and the police are helping these white supremacists. And in defending America against white supremacy and racism, they have every right to do that. Even if it's illegal, they're in the right place. And 
So it takes a lot of mental, you know, backflips and, and, and all that, you know, contortions to really kind of like process through what he said. But if you sit and think about it for a while and you don't damage your brain, you get that he's saying we have the moral high ground. Mm -hmm. So in some cases we may break the law, but in order to maintain the order of things in the way that we see that they should be to reach that utopia, which will never come, but let's, let's stay here. They feel that sometimes violence may be necessary. Now you might say, well, Stacey, you were just talking about this. Now you've no, let's connect that up. Mm -hmm. Abe, is it not true that people who feel morally superior will justify their wrong behaviors and they will plow through you with violence, with whatever means necessary to get to their end because they feel they have the moral high ground. We saw this with the Nazis. Mm -hmm. They said, well, why are you killing? Well, they're Jews. Mm -hmm. In their minds, Jews had to be exterminated. Now, we know that's wrong. They should have known it was wrong, too, but they were blinded by their feeling and their belief that they were in the moral high ground. How does that connect up to what we just said? Well, people who supported homosexual marriage felt they had the high ground. They felt they were morally superior to the bigots and homophobes who didn't want gays to be able to love and marry and adopt kids. What's to stop those same people from feeling the same way about the polygamists and the pedophiles? Nothing. There is no there's there's no backstop. There's no uh, like mountain that's too high or, or barrier that's too thick to get through. They will get through it because they've already gotten through the initial barrier, which was changing America's viewpoint on what is a normal sexual interaction. And, and really what happened before that was the sexual revolution where we took sex out of marriage. And that's what opened the door to the homosexual revolution. It's not like, you know, the rest of us are without, uh, you know, we we're, we're all culpable here, but people need to understand the progression. And I think you'll be better able to do that. If you listen to Abraham Hamilton, the third at 5 PM central on a daily basis, just use your phone and pull down the uh, app and you'll be, you'll be cooking with gas like we do every day over here. Absolutely. Thank you, Abe. Thank you for being here today. My pleasure, Stacey. Thank you for having me. All right. We will talk again soon. What I want you guys to do is head over to AFR.net. Check out the content over there and join us. We love to talk to you. We want to hear from you. And it's been a pleasure to be with you. So right after this, we'll be right back. 